chapter 23 how we grow Ephesians 4:15a God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything Ephesians 4:14a we are not meant to remain as children God wants you to grow up Your heavenly father's goal is for you to mature and develop the characteristics of Jesus Christ Sadly millions of Christians grow older but never grow up They are stuck in perpetual spiritual infancy remaining in diapers and booties The reason is that they never intended to grow Spiritual growth is not automatic it takes an intentional commitment you must want to grow decide to grow make an effort to grow and persist in growing discipleship the process of becoming like Christ always begins with a decision Jesus calls us and we respond come be my disciple Jesus said to him so Matthew got up and followed him when the first disciples chose to follow Jesus they didn't understand all the implications of their decision they simply responded to Jesus invitation that's all you need to get started decide to become a disciple nothing shapes your life more than the commitments you choose to make your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you but either way they will define you tell me what you're committed to and i'll tell you what you will be in 20 years we become whatever we are committed to it is as it is at this point of commitment that most people miss God's purpose for their life many are afraid to commit to anything and just drift through life others make half-hearted commitments to competing values which leads to frustration and mediocrity others make a full commitment to worldly goals such as becoming wealthy or famous and end up in disappointment disappointed and bitter every choice has eternal consequences so you had better choose wisely peter warns since everything around us is going to melt away what holy godly lives you should be living one god's part and your part christ likeness is the result of making christ like choices and depending on his spirit to help you fulfill these choices Once you decide to get serious about becoming like Christ, you must begin to act in new ways. You will need to let go of some old routines, develop some new habits, and intentionally change the way you think. You can be certain that the Holy Spirit will help you with these changes. The Bible says, "Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose." This verse shows the two parts of spiritual growth: work out and work in. The work out is your responsibility and the work in is God's role. Spiritual growth is a collaborative effort between you and the Holy Spirit. God's spirit works with with us, not just in us. This verse, written to believers, is not about how to be saved, but how to grow. It does not say work for your salvation because you can't add anything to what Jesus already did. During a physical workout, you exercise to develop your body, not to get a body. When you work out a puzzle, you already have all the pieces. Your task is to put them together. Farmers work the land not to get land, 
but to develop what they already have. God has given you a new life. Now, you're responsible to develop it with fear and trembling. That means to take your spiritual growth seriously. When people are casual about their spiritual growth, it shows they don't understand the eternal implications, as you saw in chapters 4 and 5. 2. Changing your autopilot. To change your life, you must change the way you think. Behind everything you do is a thought. Every behavior is motivated by a belief, and every action is prompted by an attitude. God revealed this thousands of years before psychologists understood it. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Imagine riding in a speedboat on a lake with an automatic pilot set to go east. If you decide to reverse and head west, you have two possible ways to change the boat's direction. One way is to grab the steering wheel and physically force it to head in the opposite direction from where the autopilot is programmed to go. By sheer willpower, you could overcome the autopilot, but you will feel constant resistance. Your arms will eventually tire of the stress, you'd let go of the steering wheel, and the boat will instantly head back east the way it was internally programmed. This is what happens when you try to change your life with willpower. You say, I'll force myself to eat less, exercise more, quit being disorganized and late. Yes, willpower can produce short-term change, but it creates constant internal stress because you haven't dealt with the root cause. The change doesn't feel natural, so eventually you give up, go off your diet, and quit exercising. You quickly revert to your old patterns. There is a better and easier way. Change your autopilot, the way you think. The Bible says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Your first step in spiritual growth is to start changing the way you think. Change always starts first in your mind. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel influences the way you act. Paul said, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. To be like Christ, you must develop the mind of Christ. The New Testament calls this mental shift repentance, which in Greek literally means to change your mind. You repent whenever you change the way you think by adopting how God thinks about yourself, sin, God, other people, life, your future, and everything else. You take on Christ's outlook and perspective. We are commanded to think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. There are two parts to doing this. The first half of this mental shift is to stop thinking immature thoughts, which are self-centered and self-seeking. The Bible says, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Babies by nature are completely selfish. They think only of themselves and their own needs. They are incapable of giving. They can only receive. That is immature thinking. Unfortunately, many people never grow beyond that kind of thinking. The Bible says that selfish thinking is the source of sinful behavior. Those who live following their sinful selves think only about things that their sinful selves want. The second half of thinking like Jesus is to start thinking maturely, 
which focuses on others, not yourself. In his great chapter on what real love is, Paul concluded that thinking of others is the mark of maturity. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Today, many assume that spiritual maturity is measured by the amount of biblical information and doctrine you know. While knowledge is one measurement of maturity, it isn't the whole, the whole story. The Christian life is far more than creeds and convictions. It includes conduct and character. Our deeds must be consistent with our creeds and our beliefs must be backed up with Christ-like behavior. Christianity is not a religion or a philosophy, but a relationship and a lifestyle. The core of that lifestyle is thinking of others as Jesus did instead of ourselves. The Bible says we should think of their good and try to help them by doing what pleases them. Even Christ did not try to please himself. Thinking of others is the heart of Christ-likeness and the best evidence of spiritual growth. This kind of thinking is unnatural, countercultural, rare, and difficult. Fortunately, we have help. God has given us His Spirit. That's why we don't think the same way that the people of this world think. In the next few chapters, we will look at the tools the Holy Spirit chooses to help us grow. Day 23 Thinking about my purpose. Point to ponder. It is never too late to start growing. Verse to remember, Romans 12:2b. Let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and is pleasing to him and is perfect. Question to consider. What is one area where I need to stop thinking my way and start thinking God's way? Chapter 24, Transformed by Truth Matthew 4, 4 People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Acts 20.32 God's gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be and give you everything you could possibly need. The truth transforms us. Spiritual growth is the process of replacing lies with truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification requires revelation. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to make us like the Son of God. To become like Jesus, we must fill our lives with his word. The Bible says, through the word we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. God's word is unlike any other word. It is alive. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. When God speaks, things change. Everything around you, all of creation exists because God said it. He spoke it all into existence. Without God's word, you will not even be alive. James points out, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be the most important of all things he made. The Bible is far more than a doctrinal guidebook. God's word generates life, creates faith, produces change, frightens the devil, 
causes miracles, heals hearts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, overcomes adversity, defeats temptation, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our minds, brings things into being, and guarantees our future forever. We cannot live without the word of God. Never take it for granted. You should consider it as essential to your life as food. Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. God's word is the spiritual nourishment you must have to fulfill your purpose. The Bible is called our milk, bread, solid food, and sweet dessert. This four-course meal is the spirit's menu for spiritual strength and growth. Peter advises us, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Abiding in God's word. There are more Bibles in print today than ever before, but a Bible on on the shelf is worthless. Millions of believers are plagued with spiritual anorexia, starving to death from spiritual malnutrition. To be a healthy disciple of Jesus, feeding on God's word must be your first priority. Jesus called it abiding. He said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. In day-to-day living, abiding in God's word includes three activities. One, I must accept its authority. The Bible must become the authoritative standard for my life, the the compass I rely on for direction, the counsel I listen to for making wise decisions, and the benchmark I use for evaluating everything. The Bible must always have the first and last word in my life. Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities. Culture, everyone is doing it. Tradition, we've always done it. Reason, it seemed logical. Or emotion, it just felt right. All four of these are flawed by the fall. What we need is a perfect standard that will never lead us into the wrong direction. Only God's word meets that need. Solomon reminds us, every word of God is flawless. And Paul explains, everything in the scriptures is God's word. All of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. In the early years of his ministry, Billy Graham went through a time when He struggled with doubts about the accuracy and authority of the Bible. One moonlit night, he dropped to his knees in tears and told God that, in spite of confusing passages he didn't understand, from that point on, he would completely trust the Bible as the sole authority for his life and ministry. From that day forward, Billy's life was blessed with unusual power and effectiveness. The most important decision you can make today is to settle this issue of what will be the ultimate authority for your life. Decide that regardless of culture, tradition, reason, or emotion, you choose the Bible as your final authority. Determine to first ask, what does the Bible say when making decisions? Resolve that when God says to do something, You will trust God's word and do it whether or not it makes sense or you will feel like doing it. Adopt Paul's statement as your personal affirmation of faith. I believe everything that agrees with the law 
and that is written in the prophets. Two, I must assimilate its truth. It is not enough just to believe the Bible. I must fill my mind with it so that the Holy Spirit can transform me with the truth. There are five ways to do this. You can receive it, read it, research it, remember it, and reflect on it. First, you receive God's word when you listen and accept it with an open, receptive attitude. The parable of the sower illustrates how our receptiveness determines whether or not God's word takes roots in our lives and bears fruit. Jesus identified three unreceptive attitudes, a closed mind, hard soil, a superficial mind, shallow soil, and a distracted mind, soil with weeds. And then he said, consider carefully how you listen. Anytime you feel you're not learning anything from a sermon or a Bible teacher, you should check your attitude, especially for pride, because God can speak through even the most boring teacher when you are humble and receptive. James advises, in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your heart contains the power to save your souls. Second, for most of the 2000 year history of the church, only priests got to personally read the Bible, but now billions of us have access to it. In spite of this, many believers are more faithful to reading their daily newspaper than their Bibles. It's no wonder we don't grow. We can't watch television for three hours, then read the Bible for three minutes and expect to grow. Many who claim to believe the Bible from cover to cover have never read it from cover to cover. But if you read the Bible just 15 minutes a day, you will read completely through it once a year. If you cut out one 30-minute television program a day and read your Bible instead, you will read through the entire Bible twice a year. Daily Bible reading will keep you in range of God's voice. This is why God instructed the kings of Israel to always keep a copy of his word nearby. He should keep it with him all the time and read from it every day of his life. But don't just keep it near you. Read it regularly. A simple tool that is helpful for this is a daily Bible reading plan. It will prevent you from just skipping around the Bible arbitrarily and overlooking sections. If you would like a copy of my personal Bible reading plan, see Appendix 2. Third, researching or studying. The Bible is another practical way to, ab to abide in the Word. The difference between reading and studying the Bible involves two additional activities asking questions of the text and writing down your insights. You haven't really studied the Bible unless you've written your thoughts down on paper or computer. Space does not allow me to explain the different methods of Bible study. Several help helpful books on Bible study methods are available, including one I wrote over 20 years ago. The secret of good Bible study is simply learning to ask the right questions. Different methods use different questions. You will discover far more if you pause and ask simple questions as who, what, when, where, why, and how. The Bible says, truly, happy people are those who carefully study God's perfect law that makes people free, and they continue to study it. They do not forget what they had, 
but they obey what God's teaching says. Those who do this will be made happy. The fourth way to abide in God's word is by remembering it. Your capacity to remember is a God-given gift. You may think you have a poor memory, but the truth is you have millions of ideas, truths, facts, and figures memorized. You remember what is important to you. If God's word is important, you will take the time to remember it. There are enormous benefits to memorizing Bible verses. It will help you resist temptations, make wise decisions, reduce stress, build confidence, offer good advice, and share your faith with others. Your memory is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more stronger it will become. And memorizing scripture will become easier. You might begin by selecting a few Bible verses out of this book that have touched you and writing them down on a small card you can carry around with you. Then review them aloud throughout the day. You can memorize scripture anywhere, while working or exercising or driving or waiting or at bedtime. The three keys to memorizing scripture are review, review, and review. The Bible says, remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. The fifth way to abide in God's word is to reflect on it, which the Bible calls meditation. For many, the idea of meditating conjures up images of putting your mind in neutral and letting it wander. This is the exact opposite of biblical meditation. Meditation is a focused thinking. It takes serious effort. You select a verse and reflect on it over and over in your mind. As I mentioned in chapter 11, if you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate. Worry is focused thinking on something negative. Meditation is doing the same thing, only focusing on God's word instead of your problem. No other habit can do more to transform your life and make you more like Jesus than daily reflection on scripture. As we take the time to contemplate God's truth, seriously reflecting on the example of Christ, we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. If you look up all the times God speaks about meditation in the Bible, you will be amazed at the benefits he has promised to those who take time to reflect on word, on his word throughout the day. One of the reasons God called David a man after my own heart is that David loved to reflect on God's word. He said, how I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. Seriously, reflection on God's truth is a key to answered prayer and the secret to successful living. 3. I must apply its principles. Receiving, reading, researching, remembering, and reflecting on the word are all useful if we fail, are all useless if we fail to put them into practice. We must become doers of the word. This is the hard step of all because Satan fights it so intensely. He doesn't mind you going to Bible studies as long as you don't do anything with what you learn. We fool ourselves when we assume that just because we have heard or read or studied a truth, we have internalized it. Actually, 
You can be so busy going to the next class or seminar or Bible conference that you have no time to implement what you've learned. You forget it on the way to your next study. Without implementation, all our Bible studies are worthless. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus also pointed out that God's blessings comes from obeying the truth, not just knowing it. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Another reason we avoid personal application is that it can be difficult or even painful. The truth will set you free, but first it may make you miserable. God's word exposes our motives, point, points out our faults, rebukes our sin and expects us to change. It's human nature to resist change, so applying God's word is hard work. This is why it is so important to discuss your personal applications with other people. I cannot overstate the value of being a part of a small Bible study discussion group. We always learn from others truths we will never learn on our own. Other people will help you see insights you will miss and help you apply God's truth in a practical way. The best way to become a doer of the word is to always write out an action step as a result of your reading or studying, reflecting on God's word. Develop the habit of writing down exactly what you intend to do. This action step should be personal, involving you, practical, something you can do, and provable with a deadline to do it. Every application will involve either your relationship to God, your relationship to others, or your personal character. Before reading the next chapter, spend some time thinking about this question. What has God already told you to do in his word that you haven't started doing yet? Then, write down a few action statements that will help you act on what you know. You might tell a friend who can hold you accountable. As D.L. Moody said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Day 24. Thinking about my purpose. Point to ponder. The truth transforms me. Verse to remember. John 8, 31-32. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Question to consider. What has God already told me in his word that I haven't started doing yet?